0: uh uh-huh. So I know so many of you take these bulletins home, and uh, (laughs) at least six of you. So anyway, I do want to challenge you to take them home with you today, and here's why. At the end of this message, uh, there's a challenge, and this goes out for the week, and that is just take some time and answer the three questions at the end of the message, and it just says uh, this week, answer these three questions. Number one, who had faith in me when I didn't have faith in myself? And I want you to think about somebody who put faith in you when you didn't have faith in yourself. And this week, uh, I want you to reach out to them and and just say, hey, I heard this in a sermon this week. And I just want you to know I'm so grateful that you had faith in me when I didn't have faith myself. Number two is who in my life currently needs to hear words of hope? So when you heard that last song uh, about hope and heaven, who is it right now God's laid on your hearts like there's somebody this week that needs to hear a words of hope. And then how has Jesus revealed his love to you? So those are just three questions this coming week to kind of focus on. And uh, the reason we're doing that is because of what we're going to get into today. Um, we've been talking about life with Jesus and what that looks like to, uh, to be one of those disciples who walk with Jesus. And what were the life lessons that they learned And we've been going through one-word descriptions of uh, invaluable lessons that Jesus taught. So today's word is the word speak. The words of Jesus really do matter. Speak. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we break open uh, your word this morning, uh, we want to cling to your words. Because your words inspired then and they inspire today. Lord, if anybody came here today and... And their tank is just empty. Lord, just give them strength, and help them realize just how much you love them. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I mean, what do we mean when we use that word "speak"? John seventeen eight, and as we've been talking about, there's this remarkable prayer in John seventeen, and I want you to listen to the words of Jesus in John seventeen eight. For I gave them the words, there's that word to speak, I gave them the words that you gave me. They accepted them and they knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. Words, words matter so much. Both words and actions are important in disciple making. Jesus used words that were full of authority and conviction, words of love, words of grace. But he didn't overuse words. A matter of fact, we know in Matthew 5, 37, it says, Jesus said all that would listen, simply let your "yea, be yea," and your what? Nay be nay. Let your yes and your no matter so much in your lives. Uh, I don't want you to raise your hand, but I guarantee there's people in your life that uh, when you go to a family reunion, let's be honest, that don't say hardly a word. But when they do speak, you listen. Don't you have folks like that in your family? And then there's other folks at the family reunion. And you're like, oh, seriously, do you ever breathe? I mean, I guess, like they start a story, and you're like, I can finish my potato salad and a couple of helpings. Of you know what I mean? They're going to go on and on. Or somebody, you're on the phone. Have you ever done that? They're in a story, and you can set the phone down and come back. You haven't missed a thing. Okay, so... What I love about Jesus is every word that he uttered, people leaned in. His words mattered. Some of the most important documents ever recorded were not lengthy. Think about this. The Declaration of Independence was just a little over 1,300 words. Gettysburg Address, 272 words. Psalms 23, 180. And nine words. The Lord's Prayer, 56 words. And when Neil Armstrong, in 1969, put that very first step on the moon, how many words did he utter? 11. Nice. Well played. (laughs) 11 words. Okay. It would have been interesting to see different people, how they would have taken that situation. 11 words to frame where he was at. And then a week or so ago, this is in the sports page. Uh, That shows you my spiritual depth. But anyway, I was reading the sports page, and a a local coach, his name is uh, Dwayne Potts uh, from Owen Valley, uh, loves, from understand, loves motivational quotes, and he shares this with with the football team all the time, and he loves to post motivational quotes all over the locker room. They were going into a big game. He ran 150 sheets of paper, and he printed one word, win. And I thought that was pretty good. Sometimes you have to narrow down a message so that it's clearly understood. Now, I got to tell you, this is something that a minister doesn't wrestle with at all. We just speak precisely, don't we? We don't go over the top. So this is, this is a struggle. So I thought if I had to step back and say, okay, what were the three words that Jesus used that I think changed the world? Uh, you're going to say, John, that is so simple. But I guarantee you won't forget them. Because anybody here who's been married or you've been to a wedding, they've quoted these three words. Because they all read 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. And what does verse 13 say? Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So we're going to talk about those words, faith, hope, and love. That when Jesus mentioned those words, the power and the significance of those words. And I'm really going to stick with the book of John Because I love the way that John frames the life of Jesus as we talk about faith, hope, and love. So first of all, let's talk about faith. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verses 42 and 30. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Look at verse 43. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. What did you catch that? They had absolute faith in Jesus. And they had faith in his words, but they wouldn't stand up for what they believed. Now, why? Well, first of all, it was their fear. Uh, There was a tradition of Pharisees, if you spoke up out of turn, that they would literally escort you out of church. So they were thinking, or out of the synagogue, because they're thinking to themselves, I don't want to be that person. Maybe they were afraid of their past. If I speak up for the Lord and speak in faith, people know my past. Maybe it was a lack of experience. Maybe it was a lack of knowledge. Maybe they didn't have time. But it's interesting that they had faith in the words of Jesus, but they didn't take action. And aren't we the same way sometimes? We may say we have faith. But when we're really asked to step up, don't we, at times, use a lot of uh, excuses. Now, here's something that I love, and I'm sure you love people like this too, because I am so much the other way. I love people who can rebuild and restore things. Like when something gets broke around the house, I, I tell you what, I, my brother was like, I, I just love to watch them. They almost get a thrill like, no, 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 no we're not buying anything new. We're going to fix that. And I'm the one, Marie's like, no, we're going to buy it because you're going to break it. It's going to get worse. I know none of you marriages have had that relationship where you've had that discussion, but there's somebody who can take something and fix it. And there's somebody who can restore something. They can see a piece of furniture or they can see a vehicle. They can see something that everybody else is like, oh, that's a piece of garbage. And they look at it and they're like, no, 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 wait a second. I'm not looking at what is today today. I'm looking at the possibility of what that will look like tomorrow. What's awesome about Jesus is that's how he saw people. He didn't look at them and go, oh, I see how you are. I see the way you're always going to be. No, Jesus always saw what they could be. He had faith in what they could be. And we need to have the same faith in other people. What they are today isn't where they're stuck. You're not stuck. If you truly put your faith in Jesus Christ, it means everything you know what faith is? I think faith is identified. I mentioned a marriage. But in every one of the wedding vows that I've proclaimed with couples, uh, in that vow is a key word, and it's the word faithfulness, isn't it? You vow to be faithful, but you know what faithfulness is? It's trust. If you boil it down, it's trust. And Jesus, when he spoke, really what he was saying is, do you trust me. If you go from Genesis and you go all the way through to Revelation, here's what you're going to find. God says through His Word, do you trust me? And that is so important. Matter of fact, if you were to take your Bible and you define the exact center of Scripture, do you know what verse that would be? That would be Psalms 118, verse 8. At the very heart of God's Word, listen to this. It is better to trust in the Lord then put confidence in man. Did you notice the problem again? It so says they sat there in the synagogue, they had faith in Jesus, but they loved human praise more than what? The praise of God. Now, here's what we need to be careful of. Don't put your faith in stuff, and don't put your faith in people. you ever ordered something magical? It's usually $19.99, but you order it and it comes in, you're like, oh my land, I cannot believe I'm that stupid. I can't believe I I got hung up in my emotions and I bought this product and I thought it was going to change my life and and then uh, it didn't change anything. Okay? When you put your faith in stuff, be careful. And then when you put faith, too much faith in people, um, people can put too much faith in a minister. They really can. Because you know what? We screw up all the time. Don't put your faith in people. You've got to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, is that easy? No. No, it's hard. But Jesus said this is part of faith faith is truly trusting me. And we all need to trust because it's hard. Uh, Matter of fact, speaking of faith, uh, this is interesting. 74% 74% they interviewed Americans 74% of all Americans suffer from it's called glossophobia. Anybody know what glossophobia is? It is the fear of public speaking. And m- many people fear that more than death. Think about that. They fear it more than death. Jerry Seinfeld said in other words, <laughs> the average person would rather be in a casket than give the eulogy. Now think about So when I say trust the Lord, that even means the most insecure parts of your life. Even if it was something like, you mean you want me to stand up and actually talk to someone publicly. Now, you may or may not believe me when I tell you this, but uh, the biggest reason uh, the wrestling match that I had with God about going in the ministry was I I wanted to be a youth minister more than anything else. It was the public speaking that scared me to death. And I mean... I was begging God, God, can I do ministry and not be in front of people? Now, you may think I'm lying, but I'm not lying. You may wonder why I bail out every service because I am pleading with God every Sunday. God, help me to get through one more week. Now, you may, you may think, John, that's not true. I'm telling you that is the absolute truth. It is not easy. All of us know that fear But I want you to think of the other fears that you have in life. And you can turn that over to Jesus Christ. You can have faith in Jesus. He also talked about hope. Look at John 5, 24. And I want you to mark this in your scriptures. Man, this is such a powerful verse. Verily, verily, truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Think about that. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ can take us from death to life. I mean, if you really had one verse and somebody was asking you, can you give me one verse about the hope that you have in Jesus Christ, that's a good one. Because you can share. I want to share what Jesus did for me. This is where I was. And honestly, I was dead inside. But he gave me this bridge, this bridge of hope, and now I have life. Only Christ can do that. We all need hope. On September 9th, 1965, Captain James Stockdale was shot down. He was captured, and this was in the Vietnam War. He was put in a POW prison called the Hanoi Hilton, and there he, was, uh, he uh, served seven and a half years. He was tortured uh, for weeks on end. He was in solitude confinement. He was nearly starved to death. He was in a prison cell three by nine. And when he survived that, he had an amazing spirit. And uh, there was a book called Good to Great, and they had an extensive interview with uh, Stockdale, Mr. Stockdale, about how he survived And I want you to listen to his words. Imagine what he went through and how it would be so helpless and how he would feel hopeless. But I want you to listen to his words. I never lost faith in the end of the story. Think about that. I never, I laid there night after night and I never lost faith in the end of the story. I cling to the hope of Jesus Christ. I never lost faith in the end of the story. And then this is what he went on to describe his definition of hope. And I love this. You know, hope is never losing faith in the end of the story. And then he said this. It's called the Stockdale Paradox. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, wherever that might be. Now, let that settle in for a little bit. And here's what he's saying. And this may seem like an oxymoron, but it's really not. He said, I would lay there, and I would never lose faith in the end of the story. But I was always clinging to what the brutal truth was. I'm in a prison camp. And tomorrow, they may kill me. But I will not lose faith in the end of the story. And that's Jesus Christ. And you know what men, he said, died Frequently in those prison camps. Anybody want to guess? The optimist. You go, that doesn't make a bit of sense. He said these guys would come in, and they'd say, we're going to be out of here by Christmas. And we'd be like, don't cling to false hope. We're not getting out of here by Christmas. One day at a time. Cling to the end of the story. And he said Christmas would come, and they'd say, we're going to be out of here by Easter. And the guys had been there a long time, said, no, 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 no. We don't know if we're going to get out of here by Easter. One day at a time. Cling to the end of the story. Does that make sense? Brutal truth. And sometimes Christians need to step back and say, look, life is hard. I can't put flowers on this one. It is hard. But the brutal truth doesn't remove the fact that I have hope in Jesus Christ. Even when it seems helpless. Even when life seems so Helpless, you have hope in Jesus Christ. Romans 5, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith and to his grace for which we now stand. We boast in this hope of the glory of God. Not only so, we also glory in our sufferings because we know Highlight this, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. And there it is. Hope is saying, Lord, I know it's hard, but I, I put my faith in you because of the hope that I have in you. Mark Batterson said this a few years ago, and I love this. If every day was a good day, we wouldn't have good days. Not every day is a good day. And if every day was a good day, we wouldn't have good days. But you know, when you've gone through a difficult season of your life and you start to come out of it because of the light of Jesus Christ and hope of Jesus Christ, boy, Jesus becomes real in your life. Real. Our faith and our hope is in Christ. And then think about Jesus whenever he spoke of love. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for a friend. So here's a great question uh, that I heard the other day on the radio because <clears throat> I love the fall. I love to get out and hike, and I love to see the colors. I mean, I just absolutely love the fall. And uh, the question was, uh, as we approach the fall season and all the incredible colors, if you, if you had to take all the colors that you love And for the rest of your life, you had to narrow it down to one color, like you could only experience one color, what would that color be? That is a pretty impressive question. And I start thinking about what color would I want to experience? Like what's the one that's like, wow, I love that color. Well, I think in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, that's what Paul does. He said, if I had to narrow down all the characteristics of Jesus Christ I would have to narrow it down to these three: faith, hope, and love. But if you make me, if you make me choose one, here's the one: love. Not the sugar-coated love that we use in our vocabulary. I mean, isn't it amazing we can say, "I love my mother" and "I love pepperoni pizza"? I mean, we we can just use, brush that word. And you, but no, Jesus said, "My love is unconditional." He says, "Agape." That means unconditional. I love you no matter what. Love. Think about the power of love. If you don't think that's true about the power of love, I just want you to think how obsessed we are with love songs. Am I the only one that loves love songs? Raise your hand if you don't love love songs. Yeah, you, you knew you were in trouble if you raised your hand. Okay, so here we go. Here's just a few of them. Now, 1950s, bye-bye love. By the Everly Brothers, kind of depressing. Love Me Tender, Elvis, the 60s, When a Man Loves a Woman, by Percy Sledge. Who loves that one? You got problems if you don't love that song. Okay, 1970s, Love Will Keep Us Together, Captain Tennille. Was there ever a deeper song ever written? By the way, Tony Tennille will make you feel old, 79 years old. I don't love that statistic. Anyway, 1980s, I just, Stevie Wonder, I just called to say, What, can I borrow your car? No, I just call to say, I love you. 1990s, I will always love you. Who sang that? Sure, Whitney Houston. And then the 2000s, Crazy Love by Beyonce, Love Story by Taylor Swift. And then for all of you that have been to all the wedding receptions, aren't those the funnest thing in the world? (laughs) No, they're not. So anyway, if you've ever been to one, top three songs of the 2000s, most Relevant songs right now. Thinking Out Loud, uh, At Last. That one's a beautiful song. All of Me, John Legend. We love, love songs. And we love songs. Aren't there certain songs, no matter where you're at, no matter who you're with, you'll go, oh, I love this song. Are you like that? Uh, I was at the the Buddy Walk the other day, and we're all gathered around, and they cranked out Celebrate by Kooling Gang man, I broke out dancing. I mean, I'm telling you, that song takes me straight back to college. And i I mean, it's just like, that's why we love love songs. That's why we love music and we love certain songs. Why? Because we love what? We love love. That's the way we're wired. That's the way God wired us, that we love love. That's good. That is so good. But you need to understand that you are loved by Jesus Christ. Every day of your life, that he loves you. That you have the power to receive love, but you know what? You have the power to give love. Think of the words that Jesus used to always lift people up and never tear anybody down. There's a study in our life group we're doing called Freedom I've shared before. And there's a story they shared, and this one has stuck with me. And the minister sharing this. This is actually his father-in-law. And so uh, I just was so moved by it. His name was uh, Billy Hornsby. Uh, And I can picture this so vividly. But this is back in the 1950s. And Billy Hornsby was brilliant, but he didn't know it. Okay? So he was about nine years old. And uh, he knew he was different because whenever they'd have those long paragraphs for math, he would read the paragraph and he would have the answer before he ever write anything down, he didn't need the process. He just thought he was weird. And do you remember back in the day when the teacher would have you go in front of the class and write out the problem? And it, I can remember, you talk about sweating bullets. I think that's where I learned a sense of humor because I would walk to the board and I'd be like, I know I can't get this right, but I got a good feeling I can get the class to laugh. Now I know nobody else was like that. I was kind of that kid, and so uh, he approached the board. And he glanced down at this problem, and he went out and he just wrote the answer. And the teacher said, that's wrong. And he goes, no, that's not wrong. And she says, no, the answer's right, but you need to show us the process. He said if he had to do all over again, he wasn't trying to be disrespectful, but he said, well, why why would I do that? And here's where a teacher's words cut to the heart of a little boy. And she said, Billy... You will never add up to anything the rest of your life when you're disrespectful like that. You know, the sad thing is, that's exactly what he thought about his life. And so he'd go to school, and he just would show up, and he'd just go through the motions. He hated every day of school so much so that by the time he hit 16, he taught himself how to play guitar, and he made a few bucks playing in a bar. And then he made a few more bucks playing in other bars, and he completely dropped out of school. And then the gal that he was dating, they found out she was pregnant. And so by the age of 17, he looked in the mirror and he thought, all right, I'm going to get married. I'm going to have a baby. I don't even have a GED, and I don't have a penny to my name. I am worthless. I am worthless. But I've got to get a job. So in that area at that time, there was a pretty large factory. He went and applied, and they said, okay, <clears throat> uh, we have some jobs available, uh, but the jobs that we have are leaning more into engineering, and that means arithmetic, so you're going to have to take a test. And he goes, really? I have to take a test? And they said, yeah. And so he takes the test, gets a phone call, and the guy said, we need you to come down. Um, we want to talk about your test. He goes, There's, I don't want to waste your time. I already know what you're going to say. You're going to tell me I flunked the test and you don't have a job for me. I don't want to waste your time. No, 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 no. You need to come down here. So he comes in. They sit him down. They said, "Uh, this test, you scored higher than anyone has ever scored ever taking this test. And the guy goes, I want you to know, you, if you put your mind to it, can do anything you ever wanted to do in your life. Do you understand that? And in that moment, his life changed. Words of death now became words of life. And then the craziest thing happened to this young man. He had a collision with Jesus Christ. And he took that potential, and he took that brilliance, and he actually started a church plant organization called ARC that is going today. He has trained hundreds and hundreds of leaders all over the world to plant churches. Now here's the sad thing. Had that guy not stepped up and shared words of life, he would have thought he was that little nine-year-old boy that was never going to amount to anything. Your words matter. My words matter. Jesus' words matter. And he loves you so much much we all have the power to change people's lives with our words let's use our words sparingly but let's use the words of jesus thank you for watching this message from sherwood oaks christian church did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages you can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv